My name is Paul. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Riverside, and we're continuing in our sermon series of Jesus in Every Story. And what we're doing is we're just taking a look at all the different places in the Bible and showing how it all points to Jesus. Um, and we're going to be doing that in the book of Ruth today. Um, but before we jump into that, I, I think we're all friends here, right? We can be open and honest with each other. Um, I have a bit of a confession to make. I really love superheroes, like a lot. Like it's kind of an obsession. And I, I think it all started when I was in kindergarten on my sixth birthday. Um, as if you could throw that up. That, that's a picture of me, super cute, right? Um, I don't know if you can tell it from that picture, but that is a Spider-Man ice cream cake. Like that is a legit cake. That smile I have, I still get it every time I think about that cake. Right? It's awesome. You can't see, but I had a Spider-Man tablecloth. The whole thing was great. Um, but I think it was that, that moment I keep going back to. That's when this whole idea of superheroes kind of captivated me, right? Now, you think over the years, maybe I would have matured a little bit. I've grown up. Not so much. As if you can throw the next one up. So that's a picture of my office where I work from this week. Okay? That is the top of my bookshelf. That is a life-size Captain America shield, and I do carry it around from time to time. Um, and to make it worse, I actually, I, I looked yesterday at my movie collection. I do love movies. I counted them up, 68 superhero movies, 31 of which have Batman in them. So I definitely have a problem, right? But I don't think I'm alone. I mean, the concept of superheroes, it's been around for decades now, and I mean, we're just, we're drawn to the idea. I mean, just look at the box office lately, right? But even if you're not really into superheroes, just think of the idea of heroes in general. You know, the, the people that step up and help other people. We're drawn to them. There's just something about them. You know, we think about our military, police, first responders. Um, but, but there's also other hero, heroes that we have in our lives. Um, you know, for me, I had teachers all throughout my life that stepped up and, and poured into me. Um, you know, we admire those people. We admire the person who stands up to the bully, right? We admire the people who will speak out against an injustice when they see something wrong and they step out there for somebody else. You know, maybe someone's serving the homeless. We see their heart going out to serve other people, and we're drawn to that. And why is that? I think part of it is it's pointing us to an ideal. It's pointing us to you know, some of the best parts of who we can be as people. And when we see that, we want to have those kinds of characteristics in our own lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the characteristics of a hero. And specifically, what are the characteristics of a hero from a biblical perspective? How does God view being a hero? And as I said, we're going to be doing this in one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Ruth. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 1, the first 18 verses. And as we do that, there's three different questions that I want us to take a look at. The first is this. What do we see in our, our main two characters today, Ruth and Naomi, about their actions that that shows us what a biblical hero looks like. The second thing is, how do their examples point us to the ultimate hero of Jesus? And then finally, how do we build this into our lives? How can we live 
like heroes, as, as God is asking us to live. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to look at the characteristics of a biblical hero, how they point us to Jesus, and then how we can live that out in our day-to-day life. So before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray. Father, uh, thank you for allowing us to be here together today. Um, Thank you that we can even reach out to you and talk to you because of what your son Jesus has done for us. I pray today, Father, that um, we just have open hearts, open minds, um, and that we're just willing to listen to uh, what you have to tell us today. And we ask that it just transforms our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Ruth, and we're going to start uh, right at the beginning of verse 1, and the scripture says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malin and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Just pause there for a moment. Um, I want to give us a little bit of background on what's happening here. This account is taking place during the the period of Judges. Um, This was a point in the history of Israel's people where God was appointing leaders for them to oversee them, uh, to guide them, and to protect them. Um, But if you read through the book of Judges, um, they had varying levels of success, to say the least. Some were good, some not so good. But the other pattern we see is this roller coaster of just obedience, disobedience, obedience, disobedience of God's people. Um, Most of the time they were landing on the disobedient side. And so we're in a a time where this is happening right now, and we see another further complication here that the famine that was hitting Bethlehem um, was both literal literal and figurative. You know, there certainly was that severe shortage of food, but what, as I, as I was also saying, is there was a real shortage of faith and trust and obedience to God. Now, we don't have all the details, but what we can see is that Elimelech made the decision to move his family from the promised land, where God had, had promised to keep them safe and to provide for them, He's uprooting them, taking them to this neighboring country, Moab. And at the very least, it's not a very friendly place to be um, if you're an Israelite. Um, And they certainly were not worshiping God there. Uh, They were worshiping different idols. Now, on the surface, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, there's a famine. So he's moving his family. He's trying to protect them. He's taking them somewhere where there's food. But when you dig a little bit deeper, what he's really doing is He's putting things in his own hands. He was in the promised land. It's where God said, you come here, I will provide for you. We don't see anything in here about him consulting God. We don't see him praying to God. He made a decision, and he moved them out to a foreign land. And now where does this leave them? 
you know, Elimelech now had his family in, in a, a foreign country. He dies. His sons marry women who worship different gods. Then both of his sons die. And so ultimately, his decision has left three widows, his wife and now his two daughters-in-law. And being widowed at this point in time in history is probably about the worst thing that could happen to you. you know, widows were often taken advantage of if people even paid any attention to them. They were almost always in deep poverty. There was really no provision for them. They really had no status and really no rights. But if they would have been in the promised land, God had set up laws actually to help with this. If you look in Deuteronomy 25, and, and Ben mentioned this a couple weeks ago um, when he was preaching, if a man dies and he has a brother, his brother is responsible to marry his widow, and that was to continue the family line, but it was also to add and provide protection for the widow. They weren't left out there in the cold. Here in Moab and the rest of the world, that didn't happen. They were really on their own. They had nothing. So that's where Naomi and her two daughters-in-law find themselves very vulnerable with no real hope in sight. It's a pretty dire situation. Let's continue into verse 6. Then she arose, Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. I want to pause here again, too, because I think it's easy to kind of read over that really quickly and miss it. But I want to show you something. God is at work. Did he swoop in and save the day and just transport them back to Bethlehem and give them a mansion and here's some cash? And he didn't do any of that. He didn't rip them out of their situation. But he provided an opportunity, a ray of hope, because now there was food back in the homeland. There was a reason for them to go back. And one of the other great things, again, how God is at work, and we may not always see it, in Leviticus 19, he actually had another law in place, um, and it was about how uh, farmers and how agriculture was managed and how you reach out to the poor and the needy through it. And it says this in, in Leviticus 19.9, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Again, if they would have been home, they would have been protected by this law. But here it is. Naomi has a ray of hope now where they were just completely despondent. Now there's an opportunity. They could go home, and because of God's provision and what he set up in the laws, they might have a chance. Now this is not the main point of the sermon, but it's something I think that's it's worth um, noting here and, and something I think we all probably need to hear sometimes. Even when it looks really bleak and we don't see God and how he's working, he's working. He shows up. He never leaves. He's always here. There's a lot of comfort in that. So let's keep going. Let's take a look at verse 7, and we're going to see the rest of what happens now as they're getting ready to start on this journey back to Bethlehem. 
So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that I may become your husband, that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is a pretty incredible scene. Remember the position they were in. I wanted to kind of labor on that a little bit just to show you. They were in a really bad spot. Like, no joke, no hope. But we see some amazing actions here. The way they're treating each other, it, it, it just it boggles my mind. It, we're starting to see some of these heroic characteristics that we were talking about. And I want to go through and name them. There's a few that jumped out to me. The first one I see is selflessness. You know, in verse 8, Naomi is telling her daughters-in-law to leave her and to go back to their parents so that they have maybe a shot at a new life. Maybe they, they're able to find a husband, have a family, be protected, be provided for, and have somewhat of a semblance of a normal life. Naomi was putting their lives before her own. A very selfless act. She was looking out for their happiness and their safety. And, and she really was being selfless in this because the trip back to Bethlehem was not going to be a short one. And while they were three widows traveling together, that was already going to be dangerous. But if it's only her, an older woman, no food, no protection on her own, her chances of getting back there were pretty slim. And she knew that. So she was looking out. She was putting others before herself. The next characteristics that I see are kind of wrapped up together here. But I, I see compassion. I see deep, meaningful relationships and how they're built, and the ability to love despite differences. If we look back, as soon as Naomi tells them to leave, what happens? Right? They all break down. They're starting to cry. 
They, they don't want to go. In fact, they're pretty adamant about it. No, we're going to go with you. What Ruth and Naomi there are showing compassion, or excuse me, what Ruth and Orpah are doing is showing compassion for Naomi. Naomi had nothing to offer them. She couldn't provide for them. But they were showing compassion because they saw her need. And they also had this deep relationship built with her. Now, I mean, it's always funny to joke about the mother-in-laws and the daughter-in-laws, right? That doesn't seem to be what's happening here. There was a real relationship that they had forged over the years, a real commitment to each other. And that was in spite of their differences. That's the other thing I see. There's this ability to love despite their differences. I mean, we have age differences. We have the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law thing. We've got cultural differences. We have who they worship. But they were able to break through those barriers and love each other anyway. So three more characteristics there. Compassion, deep, meaningful relationships, and that ability to love despite differences. Now, we did see, as, as we continued on, that there was a, a, a change here. Um, Naomi continues to try to plead with them again, her trying to be selfless. You, know, do, you need to go home. There's no hope here. And at that point, Orpah and Ruth make different decisions. Orpah finally relents. You know, she really hears what Naomi is saying. She realizes that, you know what, I, I really, there is not much hope here. So I'm going to listen to my mother-in-law. I'm actually going to go home and return to my family, return to my gods, return and see if maybe I can find a husband, build a family, have a normal life. It, it's a pretty logical decision because going with, with Naomi is, it may not be a death sentence, but certainly it's not going to be easy. So she's making the logical choice here and going back. But Ruth, on the other hand, does the complete opposite. She goes completely illogical and doubles down and says, no, I'm staying committed to you. Why would she do that? She heard the same thing that Naomi was saying to Orpah. And I think there's two more characteristics that we can see in sort of this idea of being a biblical hero that Ruth is displaying, and I think that made all the difference on why she stayed and why Orpah left. In verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The two characteristics that we see here are faith in God and sacrifice. Sacrifice to the point of the willingness to serve others at a great personal cost, even the cost of her own life. You know, scripture doesn't really say how it happens, um, but we can clearly see here that Ruth is making, as she's making this statement and, and this promise to Naomi, she has placed her faith in the God of Israel. She's saying, that's it. That's who I am following. I believe in him. I believe who he is. I believe his promises. And my guess is, is that happened through that deep relationship that was forged between her and Naomi over the years. She saw 
their love of God and how he was at work in their lives. So having that faith in God allowed her to take that next really bold step of committing her life to Naomi. It really meant that she was losing everything. I mean, think about it. She was giving up that chance at a normal life. It's what Orpah went back to, right, to be, to be safe in a family environment. Ruth did not really have prospects here of ever having a husband, ever having a family. She was about to go to a new land where she, she literally would be the lowest rung on the social ladder. She was a foreigner, a woman, a widow, no money, no family, nothing to support her. But she knew all that and still committed herself to go forward with Naomi. That's sacrifice. That's sacrifice where you're willing to give up your life for somebody else's. What Ruth is living out, I, I think it, uh, two statements that Jesus made came right to mind as I was thinking about this, and they're, I think, two of his more famous statements. One of them was in Matthew chapter 22. This is when the Pharisees are engaging with Jesus, trying to trip him up. Um, and one of the questions they ask is, you know, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' reply was this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then another statement that came to mind was in John 15, verses 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What Ruth is living out, Jesus doesn't talk about for another thousand years. But she's exhibiting these characteristics, these things that, that Jesus is placing complete and, and, and huge emphasis on. And what does that tell us? Everything that we're seeing in Ruth and Naomi, it's all pointing us to Jesus. These are awesome actions, the things they're doing, their characteristics to be admired, but they were still people. What it points us to is Jesus, who lived all of these characteristics and so many more that we'll never wrap our heads around he lived them to perfection. Let me show you. Let's take a look here at some of these characteristics and see how they, they bore out in Jesus' life. The first one, selfless. Jesus was the epitome of selflessness. He gave up his glory in heaven. He gave up his relationship with his Father. He gave up perfection to come down to a broken world and save us. When he was here, he didn't have concern for himself. Think about it. He, he, he said it himself. He has no place to lay his head. He had no home. He had no money. He, wa he was a wanderer. He was a homeless guy, right? What was his concern with? Not for his well-being, not for his fame. He wanted to make sure that he was connecting with all of the people around him and make sure they knew they were loved by God. He always put others first. Compassion, another one of the characteristics that we were talking about. Jesus showed compassion wherever he went. Think about all those encounters of the outcast of, of the society, right? Whether it's the, the lepers, whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all the sinners, all the broken people. 
What did Jesus do? He had compassion for them. He reached out to them. He cured their illnesses. You know, he, he comforted, them, comforted them when they grieved, even raised people from the dead. His focus was on relieving the suffering of those around him, but it wasn't just physical suffering. It was their spiritual suffering. It was the brokenness that they had within them from sin. And ultimately, we see Jesus' greatest show of compassion by what he did on the cross, paying for your sins and mine. Another characteristic, deep, meaningful relationships. I think it would have been awesome to walk around with Jesus. Like, I just can't imagine what those conversations were. I mean, it was a motley crew, right? I mean, there was, it, was a, it was a very interesting group of people he had around him, the disciples. And he built relationships with them, really deep, unique meaningful relationships. He, he didn't have a carte blanche way of dealing with people. He dealt with each person as an individual. You know, think of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Um, you know, especially like when Lazarus dies, what happens? Martha and Mary ask the same questions and say the same thing to him, and he responds to them in completely different ways. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us too. And he knows us intimately and uniquely. While Ruth and Naomi had an awesome relationship, Jesus is the only one that we can have that perfect relationship with. Another characteristic, loving despite differences. Forget simple differences, okay? Maybe you can love somebody who it doesn't look quite like you, but Jesus loves us when we are still his enemies, while we still hate him, while we are still running in the other direction, he still loves us despite that. There is no bigger difference than the gap that is created between us and God because of our sin and us just not wanting any part of him. But what did he do? He came anyway. He loves us that much to bridge that gap through his death and resurrection. Another characteristic, uh, Keith mentioned this in the opening, faith in God. Jesus' faith in his Father never wavered, ever. He had complete faith in his Father's plan. You know, I think about when he was in the garden the night before he died, and he's praying, and he is in agony, and he is just asking his Father, is there any other way? Does it have to be the cross? Is there any other way that we can make this happen, that people can be forgiven? His father said no. And Jesus went forward and went to the cross. He had faith in his father's plan. And the last characteristic we talked about, the willingness to serve others, to sacrifice and lay your life down, I've said it several times already, there is no greater example and there never will be a greater example than what Jesus did for us, dying on the cross and rising again. He literally gave up everything so that we could be reconnected back to him. You see, the things that we see in Ruth and Naomi 
and really everything in the Bible, it's all pointing us to Jesus. And in this instance, we're seeing these, these different heroic characteristics. He lives them out to perfection. So let's answer our last question. Okay, this all sounds good. But as I said at the beginning, we admire these types of qualities in people, right? When we see these heroic qualities, we want them. Well, how do we get these types of qualities in our lives day in and day out? You know, how do we live like biblical heroes? You know, one way is to look at, hey, we have some great examples here. You know, Ruth and Naomi, great examples of, of loving and selflessness. And then we have the ultimate example of Jesus. Just read through the Gospels and see what he did. But the problem we run into is if we're just looking to Jesus as an example, then then that means we have to figure out how we're going to do this stuff on our own. Like, I don't know about you, but I might be able to muster up enough conviction to be selfless and loving to people who are different from me and, you know, serving others, maybe for an hour if I'm generous, but I'm going to fail. I, I don't have the capability to do that on my own in a consistent way. Certainly not anything close to, to the perfection that, that Jesus is calling us to. And I think if, if we admit it to ourselves, we probably all find that. We can try really hard. It might look really good, but in our heart, I am not being selfless right now, even though I'm trying to be. So what do we do? The thing is, Jesus has to be more than an example. He has to be our ability to do it. What do I mean by that? Jesus has to be our source. He has to be totally ingrained in our lives. He has to be the one who allows us to live this way. Well, and how does that happen? The first thing we need to do is admit we all want to be our own hero. And we want to be the hero for everybody around us. We want to do it on our own strength, in our own abilities. It's all the way back to the garden again. We want to be in charge. We have to admit that to ourselves. If we don't, we're never going anywhere else. We're going to be stuck right there, trying real, real hard to live real, real good lives. And we're never going to get to where we need to be. So, first you need to admit that you want to be your own hero. The second one is you have to admit, I can't be and I need help. I need someone else to come in and be a hero for me, to rescue me from my sin and my brokenness. And then you just have to look at Jesus. He's the only one that can do that for us. You know, you don't need superpowers to have the characteristics of a hero. It'd be fun. You know, I'd love to fly. I think it'd be great. All you need is faith. And I, I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon this week, so I'm badly paraphrasing what he said here, but we don't need perfect faith. We don't need mature faith. We just need faith that is pointed in the right direction. I wish I could take claim that I came up with that, but we need faith pointed in the right direction. And when you are pointing your faith as little as it is, and you're pointing that to Jesus, that makes all the difference.
Hebrews 11. It's a famous scripture where it goes down, sort of the, the hall of, of, of faith, right, of all of these great heroes of the Bible. And if you have a chance, read through it today. It won't take you very long. But look for the, the, the word that shows up the most. Faith, 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 faith. It doesn't say perfect faith. It doesn't say huge mountains of faith. It just says faith. All those heroes in the Bible, all they needed was that little bit of faith pointed in the right direction. So this is where I want to leave you today. We, we all put our faith in something, whether we want to admit it or not. There's something that we're trusting in. There's someone we're trusting in, our position, our health, our finances, uh, a friendship. It could be a multitude of different things. But we're putting our faith in something to bring us happiness, to bring us joy, to bring us fulfillment. So my question for you today is this. Are you willing to direct your faith towards Jesus. And if you're here and you've taken that step, if if you have directed your faith towards Jesus, I want to challenge you with something. Are you letting him in all the way? Are there areas in your life that you're like, I still want to be my own hero in that area? I challenge you today, let that go too. Allow him to help your faith grow. Allow him to start building these characteristics in your life, to be the fuel that allows you to do that. When you make that decision to turn your faith towards Jesus, it's so awesome. He meets you right there. You don't have to do anything else. He starts doing the work for you. That's when you will see all of these characteristics start to come. That's when you're going to see you're actually reflecting Jesus to others. Let's pray.